Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Real inspiration for real innovators. If you're looking for innovation and leadership transformation, your journey starts now. Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bourne. Thank you for the huge response that we've had to the series on innovation. I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast. It would mean the world to me if you would leave a review and share this episode on your social media platform of choice. I'm excited about our guest today, Dave Rickett. Dave is the Senior Vice President at If Then. Dave is a creative visionary in digital strategy and user interface. He is a strong proponent of user-first methodologies. He helps shape user experience for brands such as Coca-Cola, The College Board, and ING. Welcome to the podcast, Dave. Thanks for having me. Hi, everybody. I look forward to, to talking more about this. So yes, we are talking about a really cool topic, which is user-first design, user-first innovation. So help orient us on what this is. So it's very much what it sounds like. It's, it's really putting the user at the center of everything you're doing. It, it's, it's approaching your business through the eyes of your customer. It's understanding how they think, being able to empathize with their point of view, and then using that knowledge to drive your business, your products, your services. I love that. So how do you in your day-to-day role help organizations think user first? Yeah, so it's interesting because over the past couple of years, a lot of our clients have come to us and say, you know, maybe they're redesigning their site or they've got a new product or new service. And a lot of times they've heard of user-first design or human-centered design, and they'll come to us with that kind of buzzword. And they're like, yeah, we've got to think about our customers. And then, you know, two weeks into the project, they're already back into the old way of thinking, you know, they, they're like in their silos at work and they've got pressures and, you know, they totally have forgotten about what they said at the beginning. So, you know, it's really about humanizing that customer and bringing their voice into whatever it is we're doing. Just like the words that you're using to describe your product and service, are those the words that people that want to use, that you want to use the product would say, you know, or, or is this, does it sound like marketing speak or business speak? You know, so that's where you really kind of have to get into the heads of that of your customers so that you can relate to them. One other really good source that's pretty easy uh, for most people to get that customer perspective is talking to sales. You know, they're the ones that are that are selling. It, I, you know, it really does depend on the the type of business that you have. But you know, some of our clients have um, sales a sales team that might be on the phone talking to customers that. Either they are trying to complete a purchase or they might have feedback or a problem or, or they're out in the field if it's B2B selling to customers. And they really are at that you know, ground level understanding what people are looking for, what they don't want, and, and they can really give you a great perspective on you know, how to position your product. So it seems to make so much sense on the surface. Why is it so hard for sometimes for organizations who are a little bit more set in their ways to make this a lasting thought process? I mean, I think a lot of people don't fully understand what it is. You know, I think when you, when you start talking about it, as soon as you put the word design on anything, user-centered design, human-centered design, anything like that, a lot of people just focus immediately on the design of, of something, you know, the colors, the fonts, what it looks like. But it's really a lot more than that. You know, it's, it's really about how you engage with, 
how your customers engage with your business and products and services as a whole. If you think about it from a business point of view, you're trying to sell something to people and you want to make it as easy as possible for them to purchase that. So how do you do that? You've got to really understand who you're selling to. You've got to get into their heads. You've got to understand how they're going to navigate through something, the words they're going to use, you know, things that the ideal kind of process for a purchase is delight, delightful. You know, you want to be, you want your customer to say, wow, that was amazing. That was easy. I want to buy from them again. And I might even tell one of my friends, wow, you know, have you, have you seen this thing? This is incredible. And it's so easy to do. It's so easy to use. That's what you want. So, you know, user centered or user first innovation is really understanding who you're selling to and doing it in a way that makes it as easy as possible for them to purchase from you. That's really good because, you know, I was as you were talking, you were making me think about this article that you wrote. And in the section of the article, you talked about Apple and just how they changed the game with the design of the iPhone. Do you want to talk a little bit about just how did they really take that idea of user first design to the next level? Yeah, I mean, yeah, Apple's a classic case, of course, with the iPhone because there, there was nothing like it when it came out. And everyone was, you know, the Razor was like the thing that everyone had, these flip phones that were really <laughs> cool and they folded and they could fit in your pocket. And then all of a sudden, Apple came out with this touchscreen that just revolutionized you know, mobile, the whole mobile industry. And, you know, they did it... it, it the thing, a lot of times with customers and people, you don't know what they want. People don't know what they want. But when they see it and they respond to it, you know, you know, okay, you, you hit a home run. So there's a lot of testing that, that's involved. You know, I'm, I'm sure when Apple was developing the iPhone, they had lots of user groups, lots of focus groups, lots of people testing things to see, you know, is this how people think? You know, we've never had this kind of touchscreen technology. So is that how people want to, to swipe and tap and move and use a phone? There's so much testing that has to go into that. But they did that. They put the effort into it. And you see what happened. You know, it skyrocketed. It really just took over the entire mobile industry. And, and all of those other phones just disappeared. So, you know, you've got companies like that. And then on the flip side, you've got companies like Blockbuster, you know, if you look at what happened with them, you know, they're a classic company, a classic example of a company that didn't, didn't really keep their eye on how their customers wanted to use their product or service. You know, if if you think about Blockbuster, they, they, they were a huge organization. They had brick and mortar stores all around the country. And they just assumed that customers were going to keep coming, that, you know, it was okay that people had to get in their car and drive to their store and hope that their movie was there on the shelf. And then if it wasn't there on the shelf, they had to find something else and they might be disappointed. They might have to come back another day to get that movie. It might take weeks before they could get that new release that they wanted to see. And, you know, Blockbuster thought that was great. That was a great experience, you know. <laughs> but then Netflix is, is over here saying, wait a minute. That doesn't have to be that way. You know, what if we did it like this and, you know, you don't have to go anywhere. We'll just deliver things to you. And, you know, they've stuck with that promise that it started out as a mail order business, basically. But, you yeah. know, ultimately, I think they had the vision and they saw where the, the technology was going and they laid the foundation so that when streaming was was really possible, they made the, the jump in a heartbeat. It, it took nothing for them to do that. And, and Blockbuster was just 
struggling to try to keep up. I think they had a mail order business at one point. They had a streaming business at one point. And then mm-hmm. by that point, it was too late. Everyone had just abandoned them. Yeah. Yeah. And I almost feel like user first is a way for you to get those early signals, those early disruptive signals that are happening in the market. If you're talking to your customers, we should be picking up patterns from our customers. And those patterns should be laying a foundation for the road ahead of of where technology is going, of where they're specifically going. And I feel like that's exactly what does not happen a lot of times when people are disrupted is it comes to them as a surprise because they intrinsically think or feel they know what their customer wants, but they're not actually asking. That's right. And I think a lot of people are, are personally offended. <laughs> <You know? laughs> they're like, what do you mean you don't like this? You know, we, we're, the, we're this brand. We're Blockbuster, you know. We're a great company. Everyone knows us. Everyone loves us. What do you mean you don't like this experience? That can't be true. You know, so they have a hard time getting over that hurdle that, you know, there might be a different way to do it. And they just kind of cling to that old way of doing things, not wanting to give up when when they really should be listening to their customers and looking at the trends and not not only their business, but other businesses, you know, what's happening in other industries. You know, if you look at music and television, you know, if I was in the music industry and looking and seeing what was happening to the newspaper industry or the magazine industry, I mean, the writing's on the wall, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's pretty easy if you just kind of keep aware of what's happening in the industry, what other people are doing, what your competitors are doing, and you can see trends. And, you know, not only, you know, talking to your customers obviously is going to give you direct feedback, but just keeping up with the trends in the industry can really help you drive your business as well. Yeah, it's interesting when if we go back in our time machine to like that 2004 to 2007 time frame when Apple and Nokia were kind of in that head to head race for who was going to really dominate the market. And Nokia spent roughly about like two, I think it was like $22 billion in R&D for their phone. And Apple spent $2.5 billion. Right. So a fraction of the cost. And you look at where, th- where things landed. Again, I think it goes right back to your Apple example of Nokia doubled down on what they were already doing to the tune of $22 billion. But Apple doubled down on the future. Mm-hmm. So I think it's so important that as we think about research and development, it's not just throwing money away per se. And I think that's why a lot of people don't do it because it feels like well, we don't have millions or billions of dollars, but it's the idea of not betting on today. It's betting on the future. And, and I think there was something in that sordid tale of, of unfortunate, you know, loss for Nokia where they weren't able to, to move ahead or shift ahead because they bet on something of the past, not something of the future. Yeah, I think a trap that is particularly in technology that companies fall into is they, they get into this feature trap where they feel like, oh, if we just keep adding features, people will think it's cool and buy it. You know, and classic examples, just look around your house. So this is something that I like to do with user-centered design and workshops. Just think about when you're walking around your house, think about the products you have and how much of them you use. So look at your washing machine. My washing machine has about 20 buttons on it, <laughs> different cycles <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. It sings to me. It tells me when it's done. You know, it does all these kinds of things. Um, my microwave, you know, same thing. It has like crazy buttons. If you ever really stop and look at your microwave, especially back, you know, older microwaves, they would have like 
uh, an appointment scheduler and like <laughs> all these things. So you get this like feature overload in these products and, and manufacturers and companies do it because they can charge more money for it. And they think, oh, this is a, a cool new feature. This is something I can sell. It's different from my competitors. But usually most people don't care. That's not what they care about. If you want to really capture audience, you've got to progress. You've got to change the game. You can't just kind of keep launching these little itty bitty features that you know, really don't matter. Well, it's interesting what you're saying, because when I think about just the rise of Apple in general, they didn't keep loading down their phones with features. Yes, they upgraded things and they made things better, but they they started releasing different and new products. And sometimes if we have feature overload, it's because we probably need to be putting that effort towards new products and and new areas to disrupt versus just trying to build everything into the current product. I do do think that's a big trap that we get into just overloading things with with bells and whistles to the point where it slows down the actual experience of what people are, are wanting to use and desiring to use. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. How would you get a company, an organization kind of to change their ways of working? What would be some tools that, you know, even as our listeners are thinking about their own organizations and they want to make just some incremental changes, maybe they don't have, you know, they're not the CEO of the organization, but maybe they run a department or they have influence in a department. What are some like incremental or small tools, small ways that they can help their organization, their leadership think user first? So one of the easiest things to do is really to look at your analytics. So, you know, data is indisputable. If you've got decent analytics, you know, a lot of companies don't invest in analytics. They don't know how their people or how their customers are using their sites or their services. Um, But if you've got good analytics, you can go in and you can see how people are using it. How, where are they abandoning you? So if you've got a e-commerce site, is there a point in that flow where all of a sudden they, you see a big drop off, you know, so you can look at that data and you can study that data and, and that's free. And you can, you can really kind of see how people are responding to what you're putting out there and identify where the pain points are or the bottlenecks might be. And that's, it's really easy to change uh, those little things. So you could, it, it could just be the wording of a button. People don't quite understand what it means. You know, there's this classic example of Amazon Back in the day, you would add items to your shopping cart. And before you could check out, there was a button there that, that said sign up. Like you had to sign up before you could check out of Amazon. And mm. they saw this big drop off when people got to that point and they would just leave their cart. So they went in and they just changed the button that said, um, I can't remember what the, the wording was on the button, but basically they changed the flow to say that, you don't have to register. You can register later and it'll make it easier if you, if you come back and shop again. But they got rid of that whole registration up front thing. And it, it had like this hundreds of millions of dollars impact on their business, just changing the wording, wow. you know, the copy around something. So, you know, that's where you don't think about those things. But if you start to think about, you know, the words you use with your customers and how people as just humans want to interact and think about things and use things, it can really have a big um, impact on your bottom line. But there are a couple other things too that you can do that's pretty easy. I mean, user testing is one thing. User testing typically falls into this kind of usability bucket, Mm -hmm. which is great. I think a lot of people discredit it or consider it an afterthought. It's a great way to kind of see 
catch any issues with a product or service that you're putting out there. But it's not that expensive. You know, what we found is by quickly testing something with as few as six to eight people, you really can kind of catch any big issues. Beyond that, it, it really drops off. Like you don't really find any significant issues beyond that. That kind of becomes a little more subjective. That's a big relief for a lot of people. As a matter of fact, I have a friend who's in the process of building a new product and he was told he needed to talk to like a hundred people. And um, I said what you said, like you probably right. need to talk to five to ten, <laughs> five to ten yeah. right? Like uh-huh. after five to 10, you're, you're just picking up on the same patterns over and over again. And that's such a relief for people. I think not to feel like it's this massive lift in order to think user first. It's, you know, all the different ways you said we can make it approachable. We can look at our analytics. So if your leader is data-driven, being able to take data and saying, hey, I see a big drop-off here on the site. Let's test some things. Let's A-B test and see what we can change here. Or, you know, I talked to five customers last week about this new feature we're going to roll out. And here's some things I think we could change for it to be even more effective. So I think so much about user first is if we're passionate about it, even if our organization is not, there are those little incremental ways, like you just said, that you Mm. can step forward in it just to to get it done without it being this massive, like, okay, we're going to have a a large customer session where we get 50 customers on Zoom. You know, it's like, Let's not overcomplicate yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. And, there, you know, another thing you can do is customer journey mapping. And that, again, that's been a, a buzzword, I think, for the past couple of years. And it can take all kinds of different shapes and forms. But really, the purpose of that is to map out every touch point you have with your customer as they engage with the business. So through the entire transaction, how do they hear about you? How do they first engage with you? What's every little step along the way to, to making the purchase? And then how do you build loyalty beyond that? You know, after they've made the purchase, what do you do? Do you just forget about it? You know, do you continue to market to them? Do you get them to do reviews, make recommendations, things like that? How do you build a, a relationship? And when you map all of that out, you really can kind of see where are the pain points, where are the bottlenecks, where are the problems, and you can map it against your technology, so your back end. And what's causing those? Is it is it something that we're using? Is it a piece of software that that's causing a problem? Is it the copy? Is it the wording that we're using? You know, where where are the problems in that whole process so that you can smooth it out and ease it out? So that can be really valuable to kind of go through that exercise. And the interesting thing is because we work in such a siloed space a lot of times, you know, this person is in charge of the copy. This person is in charge of the servers on the back end. This person decided to buy this this product, which is impacting how someone completes their purchase. They don't see the big picture. They never see the entire journey of the customer. So when you map that out, it's an interesting exercise. If you get those people from the, the different silos in the room together, lights go off. They're like, wait a minute, <laughs> why does that have to happen? <laughs> or like, oh, I could fix that. You know, so it's it's kind yeah. of a, a really fun and interesting process to go through. It takes a little bit of time, but it, it's something that you can do internally too. Okay. So you said something that triggered something I think is important to mention to our listeners. And you kind of mentioned some things about backend and infrastructure. And I kind of want to like go on a little 
rabbit trail for a second because I, I feel so passionate that a lot of times when people think user first, they only think about what the user sees. And I think the infrastructure piece, the component that they don't see, kind of what's behind the curtain, can be just as important as what they do see on the surface. And so a lot of times we don't think user first, and then the next word out of our mouth is usually not infrastructure. <laughs> Oftentimes, if that's not in place properly, then the rest will really fail. And and I think about this, you know, I've worked at some large organizations where they did have a lot of legacy software. And what happens with that legacy software is it's harder to make changes, it's harder to up grade. It's harder to innovate and push your product forward because you're always stuck in the past trying to deal with all this legacy stuff. So part of everybody's roadmap really needs to be, you know, it's it's always this fight when we think about roadmaps because we're like, well, we don't want to really leave this room for in- infrastructure because no one can see it. We really want to push these features out. Sales says they need them. So-and-so says they need it. You know, marketing needs it. But we don't really think about the needs overall of the product if we don't focus on the infrastructure. And so I just want to like beat that horse to say, hey, <laughs> you know, if, if we don't focus on the back end infrastructure, while it may not, we may not notice it in the short term, in the long term, it's going to really hurt the experience for the customer if it becomes a legacy item that nobody really wants to work on. I mean, that's absolutely right. You know, the back end can have huge impact on the overall user experience. You know, just think about if you had submit on, you're trying to buy something and it takes four seconds versus one second to complete it. You're, you're worried as a customer. <laughs> you're like, okay, yeah. what's happening? Did this go yeah. through? Do I need to hit submit again? You know, it's it's stuff like that, that, you know, when, when something isn't working right or it takes too long or it's just kind of slowing things down or I have to go through five steps when it should be one step because of the backend, you know, setup, it totally impacts the experience. It's, it's as equally important as the look and feel of the site. Yeah. And I think that's something we don't mention enough. We don't talk about it enough in in these uh, communities that do believe in, you know, whether you call it user first or um, human centered design or, you know, whatever your your word is or your phrase for this. I think sometimes we don't talk about this enough. What would you say disruptors are doing well right now that are in this space? We kind of mentioned a, a few of them, but what would you say you know, when you think about user first design or user first, even innovation, who's doing it right? So it's interesting, especially because of the times that we're in right now. So if you cast back a couple of years ago, Casper Mattress came out with a mattress that's delivered in the mail. You know, who would have ever thought I'm going to order some mattress that I've never slept on and that's what I'm going to keep, you know, but at the same time, Shopping for a mattress has never been a pleasure. You've got to go into a mattress store. You've got to lay on all these mattresses that other people have laid on. You've got to deal with some pushy salesman. You know, it's not a great experience. So Casper said, all right, we're going to make it easier for people. We're going to ship them a mattress. We know we have a great product. We're going to ship it to them, and we're going to give them 100 days to try it out, to sleep on it, to actually sleep and use the mattress. You, you can never do that in a mattress store. <laughs> and they can return it for free if they don't like it. And it was brilliant. It was a brilliant piece of marketing. They clearly were uh, you know, invested in their product and they thought they had a great product. Um, I mean, it, and it's taken off. It's everywhere. And you know, you've got other kind of similar businesses that have sprung up in different industries. You've got Warby Parker for glasses. You've got Dollar Shave Club. There's Quip Toothbrushes, Hubble Contacts. You know, they're all kind of trying to do the same thing. But what's interesting now, because we're all stuck at home because of COVID, 
these are the kinds of businesses we need. <laughs> you know, yeah. we can't go out yeah. and, and shop the way we used to shop. You know, Instacart has taken off. You know, it's all of that has really COVID has really accelerated these these disruptors in their businesses. And you know, who knew that they they were already gaining ground and gaining foot, and brick and mortar stores were already kind of on the decline, but. This has really accelerated it. I mean, all of our, all of our clients that can sell online are rapidly accelerating their move to online sales. I think really, if you're going to try to think customer first, you have to commit to it. You know, it, it means swallowing what you think you know about them, like we were saying earlier, and actually listening to what they're saying. You can't be dismissive if you get negative feedback. You've got to embrace it. Thank them for, for giving them your point of view, pointing out something about the product that you didn't know about, because ultimately it helps you improve your product. It helps you improve your business. And that's, that's really how you're going to grow your business. Dave, thank you for joining us today. This was so, so good. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And to our listeners, thank you for joining the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. You can follow Dave on LinkedIn or check out his company at ifthen.com. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we are on a mission to get the word out to more listeners. So please start by subscribing, leaving a review and sharing this episode on your social media platforms. And remember, don't just get out of the box, break the box and set it on fire. Let's go transform something. Thank you for joining us for the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Innovation Meets Leadership. And visit our site at innovationmeetsleadership.com for more innovation resources. Today's sponsorship is brought to you by Territory Global. We work at the intersection of experience and imagination. We help you pinpoint problems and turn them into opportunities. We make Imagine happen. Some of the best organizations in the world choose us as their partner to help solve their strategy, innovation, transformation, story, and ways of working problems. Learn more at Territory.co.